Joining me on the line is Ian Tostenson, the CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Association. Ian, you are the industry, the doctor looking to you and your <laughs> colleagues on this. My guess is these conversations are taking place right now. Yeah, hi, Joe. Uh, it's funny, last week we said, you know, we need to put together a, a group uh, of, of uh, think tank guys and the industry people that are the very best and brightest to make a recommendation. And then she dropped... Dr. Henry dropped this yesterday, which just like caught us all off guard. So last night we've been working on putting that group together. We're having your first meeting tomorrow. We're going to have uh, really strong recommendations within, uh, I'm saying, about eight days. It's going to take us probably about three meetings to get this done. A lot of a lot of work has already been done by a number of restaurant brands on how to do this. But what we want to do is we want to have two things. We want to how do we how do we come out of this and develop a plan that has that just bulletproof when it comes to public safety and confidence? Because we're going to need that. And there's going to be probably some really odd things that happen uh, in stage one here in us in order for us to open, but to keep the confidence and be safe. And then also with an eye to profitability, because, you know, there's no sense in doing all this if it's not going to make financial sense. And I think I think there's a way of accomplishing that as well, too. So I'm pretty excited about this. There's a glimmer of hope here that um, Dr. Henry's opened the opportunity for us to, um, you know, I think it's fantastic that she's opened the door for us, for industry, to respond, um, you know, to what she, you know, to what her, her challenge is. Is it a safe assumption that when we do see this startup again, it's going to be the large restaurants? It's simple math that you need a large space. If you're going to have table service, you're going to have people that are distancing. It's not going to be that tiny little hole in the wall restaurant that's going to be the first up and running again. No, and I, you know, maybe the, the, the small little guy has a little patio and he can serve outside the bigger restaurants for sure. Um, you know, she mentioned groups of 50 um, we don't know whether that's, you know, you could if you could have more than that socially distanced, or maybe it's people per square foot. We're going to explore all those different things. Um, but, um, no, you're absolutely right. There's going to be, you know, uh, issues around small and issues around large. What we don't want is, is to create, you know, meccas of uh, large groups and just sort of being reckless here. I think you're going to see the industry. Yeah, I'd like to see, actually, Jill, uh, a, a plan that is so well done from our restaurant industry in British Columbia, that it's a blueprint for anywhere else in the world. That, and I mean this, like that wants to open up restaurants. I think the talent is here. The, you know, we so many brands that are in Canada, uh, the top restaurants were started in Vancouver. And it's going to be that same innovation and drive, I think, that, that will come up with a plan that, that really um, fits well with the public and ultimately Dr. Henry. And do you think it will look a lot different? I mean, we're looking at some places in Europe, Austria saying May 15th, restaurants are going to reopen. They're not doing any kind of of tiered way of bringing it back, coming up with these creative ways. It looks like they're going to go back to services as they were before. Uh, does it seem strange that it's so different how we're responding here to some other places in the world? Yeah, I think, you know, um, some people might say we're really conservative, but I think we're conservative. That's going to serve us long-term better. So uh, we're, we're probably going to be up and running in our economy sooner. And I think that um, I think the public demands this. They're going to they're going to support uh, a responsible program that they feel safe in returning to. If we just open up restaurants on May 15th, I think people wouldn't even go. I think they say that that wasn't well thought out. So you know, with the um, as I love Dr. Henry, right? She says. 
this is not the forever plan. This is only stage one. So we may see, you know, we talked this morning about some ideas for tomorrow's meetings, you know, a certification in the window saying this restaurant's been certified and it's been inspected and it has these protocols in place. And when you go into the restaurant, you'll see obvious signs of, uh, of hygiene and sanitation and maybe some explanation how that restaurant handles its food and its staff and how its policy is with respect to customers that come in that are sick. All those different things are going to need to be done, which haven't been done in the past, um, to get the, 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 the confidence of the public. And I think they'll really appreciate that. You know, as Dr. Henry said, there's so many people want to go out and do something. And if we can be, provide that safe environment for them, I think it's, um, it's a great first start. Uh, do you think we'll also see the return of before this pandemic hit, there was the war on the straw, there was the war on any kind of single use plastics where the shift has been now going back to that because people have realized that's actually one of the ways we can fight this thing and we can stop it from spreading. Are we going to see, do you think, a restaurant situation where it's actually you have to drink out of a straw and that we go back to that, at least for the, the, the short term? Yeah, I think a lot of what was, you know, that, that train that was in the environmental stuff that was coming down the pipeline is all off the table right now. I think um, it's just going to take a second priority. It will come back in time, but I think it's going to come back with more sensitivity. And uh, if we need straws, we need straws. I mean, I think there's an awareness that, um, you know, if you need straws, you're probably going to try to find environmental straws and do those different things. But, I, you know, I think that there's so much of this is about survival right now and getting the priorities straight and getting business strong enough to be able to again go back to you know the uh, the plans around the environmental things but government's going to have to change i mean we can't we won't be able to wait for the city hall to to wait for 6 months for someone to get a patio approved i mean it's going to have to happen a lot faster than that to get this economy moving it, that red tape and, re- and uh, regulation is going to have to really change a lot and they're going to have to be a lot more trusting as Dr. Henry is with it, with industry, that industry can will do the right thing. And and I was just so thrilled that she took that point of view yesterday about um, trusting industry to come up with a, with a plan. That's the best plan we'll ever get. Uh, you mentioned red tape. What about red tape uh, about uh, purchasing of liquor and what ty- and how you can purchase it? What restaurants can serve it? And all of the other red tape uh, that we see crippling restaurants in many scenarios. Yeah, so uh, the the takeout and delivery thing was really interesting because we worked with government uh, over a weekend and they actually approved the, deli- uh, the the approved liquor to be able to be delivered uh, with food, which is which was great because that would have taken the next six months to do something like that, and the government in BC did it in, in two and a half days. So we're going to see a lot of that regulation just coming in. It, it, I think the test is going to be: is the regulation that necessary? for public safety or does it provide public safety or is it getting in the way of just because it's just bureaucratic and it was just getting in the way of business flourishing but there's still public safety and I think a lot of these things are going to fall. I think it's going to go back to a much more trusting and uh, and robust environment versus, you know, there was a lot of regulation going on over the uh, many, many years that just got downloaded on the business and I think business is going to need the, the, uh, the space now to be innovative and creative but addressing the issues that we have to, which is public safety. Right. And you mentioned, you mentioned that as well. Wouldn't it seem strange? I mean, unless unless there has been some huge downside to allowing takeout and delivery to include liquor, which I haven't seen it. Would it not seem strange that government would take that back? It would be very strange to take that back. And I think um, 
you know, that's why we just keep telling restaurants, you know, it's, 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 it's liquor with food and uh, we're not liquor stores. We were selling food and liquor together. And I think that uh, it's working well. The delivery companies are working hard to get serving at right designations for all the drivers. So, um, you know, the, the impact of all of a sudden taking that away is just going to go backwards for industry where we, um, I think the public safety thing is a check mark, but also the private liquor stores, they've been really great. They, they didn't complain about this. They said, no, we think that's fine. There's a lot of private liquor store guys own pubs. Mm. So um, I think if we do it responsibly and we can show the government we can do these things, I think it's just going to we'll just keep adding more and more ability for uh, business to flourish. All right. We'll leave it there. I look forward to when we start talking about how this new dine-in model is going to look. Uh, Ian, we'll leave it there, though, for today. Thank you so much. Jill, we got ride-sharing. Now we'll get restaurants <laughs> back, right? <laughs> Well, for many people being in the middle, well, maybe not middle, being in a pandemic and wondering when things will get back to some form of normal means, we accept a whole different normal from day to day. And priorities may have changed from what they were a month ago, two months ago. What about climate change, though, and people who are concerned about climate change and keeping that top of mind during a pandemic? Well, my next guest is joining us to talk about that. Stephen Shepard joins us. He teaches in the Urban Forest forestry program and studies climate change scenarios at UBC. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us today. No problem. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, this? On the one hand, where we've seen things slow down so much, we're seeing pictures of clear water in Venice and seeing clear air in places where there in the past has been a bit of a haze. That has people thinking about climate change and industry and such. Uh, How do you kind of balance the two of knowing we're in this very strange situation, but also uh, seeing these things happening on the planet? Uh, well, it's obviously a very interesting time, and it raises some obvious challenges we're all dealing with. But there's some really good lessons there, I think, for how we can deal with the, the second crisis that's already started, but it's a little a little slower, uh, and that's the climate emergency. And I think there's a number of things we can learn from uh, how how we've reacted and responded to the COVID uh, pandemic, and and how we probably should be changing our our lifestyles a little bit around climate change. And how would you suggest, if once we're on the other side of this, a change that maybe people should be considering? Uh, Well, there's a a number of things that that we probably kind of know conceptually that should be done about, you know, reducing fossil fuel use and and also preparing for the impacts of climate change, those at least the impacts that are unavoidable. but I think uh, what, what the current crisis does for us is, is give us a really good example of how much people can change in a short time if, if they all pull together and they realize how serious the issue is. Um, and so while the COVID crisis has seemed pretty immediate, obviously has a short uh, sort of uh, half-life to, to impact people, uh, climate is also pretty urgent. We've got 10 years left to cut essentially by about half our carbon footprints. That's the provincial target. That's the city of Vancouver target, for example. And, and so that means we have to do a, a lot of changes in this decade, and many of us have to start doing that right away. So I, I think there are a number of those changes, uh, and we can talk about them um, in terms of things people can do while they're stuck at home, while they've got their kids at home and doing homeschooling. We can start learning about 
what those solutions might be. And uh, in our own neighborhoods, the things we can control in our homes, gardens, and on our block. Uh, because do, do you find it just on the one hand, like you said, there's this issue of climate change, but many of the changes that people are enduring right now is not because they woke up one day and decided I want to do Zoom meetings instead of driving to work and I want to do these things. They were forced upon them and a lot of people can't wait until we can return back to something closer to how things were before. Uh, well, that that would be, uh, you know, obviously attractive, but there are also a lot of attractive things about what we're seeing right now. You mentioned the clean air, and, uh, you know, the clean water, etc., the quiet streets. You know, people have reclaimed the streets. There's a lot more walking and biking going on, a lot more gardening in people's front yards. Uh, we've become much more concerned about supply lines. We realize how dependent we are on you know, resources, energy, food, medical supplies that come from, you know, the other side of the world. That's not a resilient way to live. And and I think uh, we can expect quite a lot of changes. Working at home is a, is a huge one. If we work at home one day a week, we've cut our commuting carbon footprint by 20%. So I think there's a lot of things. And uh, there are some sort of some simple and kind of fun ways that we can start thinking about those things that we can control while we're in this pandemic that's going to last probably for a few months to have at least some level of socialization. And uh, uh, one example of that is the Citizens' Toolkit that sort of leads people and, and families through a sort of an action plan of what they can do in a kind of a fun way. And what is that? Can you talk a little bit more about what, what the, uh, the Citizens' Toolkit is all about? Sure. It's it's a kind of a fun uh, visual toolkit, do-it-yourself toolkit, really, that's designed for everyday citizens, just where you live, uh, particularly in sort of suburban areas where you've got some yards and streets and trees on the boulevards, etc. So it kind of deals with a range of climate change and urban forestry issues that are going to be critical for us in the future. So we're thinking about things that would improve our, you know, the, the, the shade when we have four degrees extra uh, temperature on an average, like we're going to be in San Diego in, in the summer in, in the future. Uh, water management, so we don't have floods from the intense storms that we're going to get. Uh, those kinds of things, changing our energy footprint in our homes, changing how we grow our own local food or uh, help local biodiversity withstand the climate impacts. A whole bunch of things. And the cool kit is really kind of a, a set of fun exercises so you can take your kids out in the front yard and figure out how much squirrel habitat you've got, how much tree canopy you have. Do you have enough? Many blocks in, in, in our cities don't have enough canopy. Uh, we can do visioning. You can get uh, folks looking at what the future of their block might look like. Uh, it really kind of brings climate change home in a very practical, hands-on way, and it's actually fun a fun way to keep people involved and thinking about the practical solution. And uh, with uh, I know a lot of people, too, with uh, being at home and with kids at home, they are looking for things like this. How can people access this if they want to check it out? Well, it's all free. It's all online and designed uh, for and with, actually, both citizens and teachers. They've been really helpful to us. So if you just Google uh, Citizens Cool Kit or iCoolKit, uh, all one word, which is uh, a, a kind of new online version that we're launching as part of Earth Week, uh, where uh, there's a lot of resources for parents and teachers and just folks who are you know, bored, <laughs> something to do, 
So really learn by yourself, teach yourself what climate change means to you and your backyard, literally. All right. We will leave it there. Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, No problem. Thanks very much for uh, the, the invitation. Well, many industries have been shuttered, have slowed down incredibly because of COVID-19. But what about the construction industry? Well, let's bring in Anita Huberman, the CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade, to talk about construction in that city. Anita, thanks so much for being back with us. Good afternoon. Uh, I know you had a a digital town hall uh, earlier uh, today to talk about this and to look uh, at some of the issues facing the construction industry. What What are the biggest challenges right now? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, the province of BC has indicated that construction continues. And Surrey, being the largest city in the province, is undergoing rapid development, residential, commercial, industrial. Uh, You know, the challenges for the construction sector, though, are, are, are many because they have to put in measures for physical distancing. Only so many people can be on a work site. Uh, and you have a range of different construction uh, companies, whether they're subcontractors or ancillary uh, contractors as well. So, you know, what we learned this morning uh, with the law firm of Saskin and the BC Construction Association is Surrey is at the heart of construction activity. Uh, but definitely, if, uh, if a site uh, if workers have COVID, uh, then the provincial health officer needs to step in and will step in and, uh, and possibly close the site down. And has that been happening in Surrey? I haven't heard anything specific in that regard. I think the city of Surrey in itself, in terms of issuing uh, different uh, permits and instructions in conjunction with uh, the provincial health officer, uh, they we haven't heard anything. Uh, you know, they've followed the rules. And, uh, and we have a, a, a really a wide variety of different types of construction companies uh, that uh, are in Surrey, but I haven't heard anything specifically. Uh, do you know of other of any sites, though, that have shut down? Because we've put the call out and had people calling in to the radio station, some smaller companies saying they shut down, uh, some saying, yeah, we're, we're following the rules as best we can and we're staying open. Uh, do you know of any particular projects that are now behind schedule or or have stopped temporarily because of this? Not from within our membership. You know, everything is uh, full speed ahead, of course, keeping in in conjunction with uh, physical distancing measures. I mean, uh, you know, what we are hearing with some construction companies is uh, they are facing a skill shortage. They still need labor. And uh, we heard that very clearly by the BC Construction Association that even when we go back to post-pandemic times, so whatever the new normal is going to be, this industry is still going to be thriving, still going to be facing a workforce shortage. Uh, but co- projects still continue in Surrey. And are you, did you get the sense or, or was this brought up that even with the physical distancing and knowing what the rules are, knowing what, what we need to do to stay safe, are construction companies able to do that? To some extent, yes. I mean, uh, they have to ensure that their workers are working in shifts. Uh, there's been a call to the city of Surrey to see if construction can take place in the evenings. 
Um, you know, different types of innovation is definitely taking place uh, within this sector. Um, but, um, you know, there needs to be a checklist in different languages because we have a very multicultural city uh, to ensure that there is safety on the work site. And, and exactly. And looking at that, do you think that enough is being done as far as making sure or ensuring that that, that safety is in place? Well, from a very high-level perspective, and what we heard this morning is, yes, you know, there's been so much communication to these construction sites. And knowing that the city of Surrey is at the epicenter of construction activity, uh, you know, I think a lot is being done. You know, some more can be done and uh, and will need to be done in terms of post-pandemic times. But um, a lot of the checkboxes have been checked off, is what we heard this morning. So as far as major projects or future construction in Surrey, then how confident are you that things will continue and those projects will still go ahead? For the most part, uh, I believe in Surrey that uh, residential and commercial activity will still continue. Uh, we still have uh, a huge land base from which to build on. We have the most industrial land inventory uh, within Metro Vancouver, 29%. And so, uh, you know, we're going to be on track to be that largest city in British Columbia to make sure we're an opportunity city. Uh, but definitely there is some cautious uh, investors out there and they're going to see what post-pandemic times look like. And what about the fact that we've seen at City Halls, uh, the not the, the complete shutdown, but certainly people being laid off or, or things not happening as quickly. Do you have any concerns in the future as far as building permits and the permitting process not going as smoothly? Well, we've always had a concern about uh, reducing red tape in terms of approving uh, permits and and all of that. Uh, And I know there's been some improvements from a technology perspective, but we saw even at last night's council meeting and through our our weekly City of Surrey pandemic committee calls that uh, things are, are still moving ahead. Things are getting approved. Um, but definitely things can be enhanced in terms of approval processes like with any city. Right. And, and I guess at this point then, as far as construction goes, it's to continue the way things are going right now. Hope that the physical distancing and those measures are continued. That, uh, that I mean, it would seem like that's one of the, the more important industries that is continuing to make sure that, that those measures continue so that we don't see an outbreak or we don't see uh, this virus impact the very people that are still working on these projects. And there are regular on-site inspections of construction sites, whether they're commercial or residential, to ensure the safety of workers. And I expect that will continue. All right. uh, We will leave it there. Anita Huberman, thank you so much once again for your time. Thank you. We started the show today talking to uh, Ian Tostenson with the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. He was talking uh, about a glimmer of hope, given that Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday said industry needs to come up with some creative solutions to get back to a dine-in model. It won't look the same as things did in December, but there is that light at the end of the tunnel. That comes as we hear from a lot of restaurants saying if things continue like this for any length of time, 
time, they might not be able to reopen at all. And certainly it's not just restaurants that are finding themselves in that scenario. A number of businesses are fearful they will not be able to open again if this continues on for an unlimited amount of time. So let's bring in David Jen, CEO of the Vancouver-based company Merchant Growth. David, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate you having me. Uh, What does Merchant Growth do? We provide financing for uh, small businesses across the country. We've been doing that for 11 years now. And most of what we finance are storefront operators, restaurants, retail stores, the types of businesses that are, you know, obviously being uh, quite impacted by what's going on. So what is the number one thing that you're hearing from businesses? Um, Number one thing I'm hearing is, uh, you know, I I can't make my uh, regular payments on the financing, (laughs) um, you know, right now uh, because of what's going on. And so we're accommodating and uh, and giving people, you know, reduced payments or payment holidays um, uh, wherever we we can. Um, And, you know, they're expressing obviously a ton of anxiety over what's happening. Um, uh, Everyone's just wants to know the the, the timeline here of uh, how things are going to reopen, what that looks like. That's the uh, obviously the million dollar question. No one knows the exact answer to it. Um, but uh, everyone's everyone's sort of uh, anxious about it. Uh, so we've had the various announcements from a federal the federal government level when it comes to the emergency funding, the wage subsidy. Uh, unless I missed it, it doesn't seem like we've had anything concrete on commercial businesses and some kind of rent help or help with those payments. Has that have we get, been given any any clarity from government on that? Nothing concrete yet. Last week uh, was the first time we heard the federal government start to talk about uh, what they're calling the Commercial uh, Emergency Rent Assistance Program. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to hear them talking about it. And I'm glad something is coming down the pipe. Uh, so the devil's in the details. We're just waiting to see what that looks like. And how urgent is it that we get those details? Uh, you know, it's very urgent. Ideally, it would have been something that was in place prior to the April 1st rent payment. Uh, uh, obviously, we're coming up on another rent payment uh, soon. Um, of course, uh, landlords are, are applying for deferred mortgage payments where they can, and a lot of rent has gone unpaid uh, as of April 1st as well. Uh, so it's just a bit of an overhang. Uh, you know, there, there's two different issues. One is, uh, you know, from the perspective of a small business owner, one is a, a cash flow issue. And if, if, the, if, your, if your landlord lets you not pay for a bit, you know, that solves the cash flow issue. But uh, without government stepping in for actual rent relief, uh, that rent is still owed. You know, the landlord's expecting you to catch up down the road. And, and these small businesses just can't afford to go deeper in debt with each month, you know, another month of rent uh, basically being added to the tab. Um, you know, the government really needs to step in and fix that or else we're going to see a lot of bankruptcies and closures. And and what about the the idea? I've heard some people float the idea if they could move to an interest only payment program, at least for the time being, in a temporary sense, or or find some other creative way to get through this. Um, and and interest only, uh, you know, are, are you uh, referring to landlords paying interest only on their mortgage? On their mortgage, or if you have a, a bank loan that you you want to go to an interest only. Yeah, absolutely. You know that that. That helps the cash flow issue, um, uh, and, and and you know you, we need to be solving both the cash flow issue and you know what I would call the the solvency issue, which is just going kind of deeper in debt. Um, you know if you're if you're not paying principal and the interest clock's still ticking and you've got no revenue coming in, 
uh, you know, it's solving the cash flow issue, but not the solvency issue. So what do you tell businesses then? And uh, I mean, is there a certain point where it's kind of the point of no return or when a business comes to you, are you pretty confident that even though this is a very strange situation, there is a solution to be found somehow? What, what, what gives me confidence is the fact that the government each week is announcing more and more. And when they announce something that's not enough and and, and uh, people react, the government then, you know, revises what they're doing and ensures that it includes enough uh, people. And, uh, you know, these stimulus programs, uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to save every business. But if, if, if the programs can save, uh, you know, the vast majority, then, then, then I would say that uh, it's a job well done. Uh, you know, in terms of us actually putting out new loans in this environment, we, we're absolutely open for business. We're doing that in certain industries uh, that uh, uh, that are still operating today and still generating revenue. Uh, it's difficult for us in our current form to fund businesses that are closed when we don't have clarity as to, you know, the speed at which lockdowns get lifted and what the post-lockdown uh, world really looks like. So, you know, as a private business, we have to also be cautious and, and, and make sure that, you uh, we're doing responsible things with the folks uh, with the money that folks have entrusted us with. Um, we are also talking to government about using uh, businesses like ours, which we call uh, fintech platforms, uh, to to help get government stimulus out. Uh, so there's o- ongoing conversations around that. So perhaps my business will end up being able to play a role there. Hmm. And can we learn from other jurisdictions? Have we seen other places respond to this in a way we can we can take from that? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's other uh, countries that uh, are, uh, you know, a few weeks or maybe a month earlier on the pandemic curve, so to speak, and we can look at what they've been doing. Um, and, uh, you know, other countries certainly have found a way to deal with the rent and overhead issue for small business. Um, in, in, the, in the U.S., uh, their, their uh, emergency loan program effectively makes any portion of the loan that you use on rent and those types of overhead expenses forgivable. So effectively, they're granting that money. Um, uh, other countries have done similar things. So I think we're playing a little bit of catch up. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, the government seems to be moving in the right direction. And small businesses, I mean, people didn't anticipate this. and wouldn't uh, if you asked somebody six months ago if, if they thought we would be in the middle of this now. I don't think anybody would have said yes or, or to, to the extent that it is now. Uh, so have small businesses, do you think, or have you seen that they are, are, are able to adapt and at least try, try to organize and figure out how to get through this? I think so. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough situation, and as I mentioned earlier, not not every business is going to make it through a crisis like this. I think the approach is, uh, you know, survive, reset, and thrive is something I I read recently. Uh, someone who works with uh, corporate strategy uh, recently wrote. So you know, f- first first order of business is survive. Uh, you know, conserve cash flow. Look at your financials. Uh, uh, do do whatever you need to 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 kind of be able to to survive. Um, and then, you know, reset and, and start to think about what the post-lockdown world is going to look like. Uh, uh, you know, what, what does a restaurant dining experience look like in, in, the, in an era of social distancing? Um, you know, what are other ways you can generate revenue and, and sort of start to build back up from there? So, uh, you know, I think uh, we're, you know, lots of businesses across a variety of industries are kind of going through that uh, survive, reset, and then ultimately thrive. Um, you know, type of thought process right now. All right. We will leave it there. David, thanks so much for your time today. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right.